Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. It's uh, a privilege and pleasure to be here this morning and uh, yeah, re- really appreciate the opportunity to come and share. Uh, thanks to Mike for offering that opportunity. And uh, it's an opportunity to meet you guys as well because we've heard of you uh, through Mike and Jody for the past year. And uh, even this morning I was reflecting back on what I know of Lacrete and Dale Tishkal, which you guys may have known and met, uh, was sending me pictures more than a year ago when he and Dr. Hargrove came to, to check out this place. And so I've heard about you guys uh, for a long time, and so it's a privilege to be here and share with you God's Word this morning. And uh, we're going to go into Romans 8, so if you open your Bible to Romans chapter 8, we're going to consider just one verse this morning as we study what God's Word has for us. Romans chapter 8. So as we look this morning at this verse, it's actually just one verse, but some people have called this one verse or or referred to this one verse as being one of the greatest verses in one of the greatest chapters, in one of the greatest books, in the greatest book that we know of the Bible. And so this morning, this one verse is able to speak to Christians who are burdened by sin. It speaks to non-Christians with the consequences of their sin. It's able to confront and and challenge uh, us as believers as we are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. It, It elevates our understanding of God's grace and His mercy in our lives. And then it highlights some of the results of Christ's death on the cross for us this morning. So we're going to read just the one verse here in Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it reads, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And let me pray before we begin here. Lord, it is such a wonderful verse and text to come to this morning. Lord, as we acknowledge that there is no condemnation for anyone and everyone who is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all of your words that has been inspired and has been given to us. Lord, that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And Lord, I pray that these words this morning from your word would indeed encourage and challenge us. Lord, that we would live them out. Father, we just want to exalt you this morning as we understand further the greatness of your grace of your love, of all that you have done in giving the gift of your Son. And Lord, I pray that this morning we would be receptive to your truth, Lord, as it is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you see from your outline there, if you have before you, we're going to ask three questions of the text this morning. But before that, I just want to go into that first word, um, therefore. So to consider first, therefore, what is the therefore, therefore, as we determine Paul's development to get to this point. So understanding why he's come to this verse here is helpful when we understand what he's said beforehand. So I think that therefore refers back to all that he has spoken about in the book of Romans so far. And so just very briefly, we would see that in the first two and a half chapters of Romans, that Paul is, is teaching total depravity of man, meaning that all of us, since Adam and Eve, 
apart from Jesus have been naturally inclined to sin. Okay, that's why we don't need to teach children to sin, yeah? They just do it by themselves before we can teach them anything. So the first two and a half chapters is teaching that by nature we are inclined to sin. And then the next two and a half chapters, Paul transitions and then he explains justification or being made right with God. And so we see that from the first two and a half to the, to the end of chapter five. And then in chapters six and seven, we see what I think is Paul's deliberate sidetrack from his train of thought as he's answering questions that would probably come up from those first five chapters. So in chapters six and seven, he's explaining answers to about sin and about the law that may have been presented to him when the readers were first reading those first five chapters. And then as he transfers into chapter 8, we see all those foundational truths in the first chapters coming together and we see the, the results of, of all that truth. And so we see, in essence, that we are made right with God and all of those results of being made right with God are explained here in chapter 8. Sorry, not all of them, but many of them are explained in chapter 8 here as we understand the results of salvation and being justified. And in this one verse, we see such an incredible opening statement to this great chapter of Romans chapter 8. And so the questions we're going to ask this morning is who does no condemnation apply to? Then we're going to ask what is no condemnation and when does no condemnation apply? So in the positive sense, we could say that all of this truth in the first verse is, is in essence summary of freedom in Christ. In, in verse two, we see the aspect as Paul's referring to being free in Christ. And so we could see that we are free in Christ. But the way that God through Paul has written it here, I think gives us a greater understanding of one aspect of freedom in Christ when we understand that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so this morning we're going to look first actually at the beginning, uh, sorry, at the end of the verse before we go through the rest of the verse. Now, some translations, if you look at the verse there, depending on your translation, some of them will actually repeat part of verse 4 at the end of verse 1, but I think it's best to understand it as most translations have that it finishes verse 1 here as those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we understand who is in Christ Jesus, it helps us understand if this is relevant for us, how it's relevant for us as we consider what is no condemnation and when does no condemnation apply. So first we're going to consider the question, who does no condemnation apply to? And really we just look at the text and it tells us no condemnation very simply applies to those who are in Christ Jesus. But I want us to go further to understand some of the, the incredible or possibly confronting implications of what it means to be in Christ. And so... As we see, the application of Paul's message here is only for those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, therefore there is no condemnation. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus, your sin and the punishment for your sin has been removed by the blood of Jesus. And the, the blood of Jesus gives us confidence that we can live knowing that our sin has been completely paid for. 
We can live a life of freedom from our past sin. And we can thank the Lord that even for the sin that we are to continue to do in the future has already been dealt with on the cross. And so to be in Christ means that you have died to sin and you are now spiritually alive with Christ. To be in Christ means that you are intimately connected with Him. Even as we read or as Pastor Mike read this morning from 1 John, we see that we abide in Christ. We're in union with Him. And Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And so to be in Christ provides just incredible ideas of, of our relationship with our Lord and Savior. To be in Christ means that when God looks at you, that He sees His faithful, perfectly obedient Son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't see our sin, but He sees the righteousness of Christ. And so Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who made Him, meaning God who made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And Philippians 3.9, Paul's writing and he says, Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. And so those who are in Christ have received Christ's righteousness. And if you're in Christ, then Romans 6.23 says that we have received the gift of eternal life. I'm just going to run through a few other Benefits and blessings, you can jot down the references as I go if you like, but 2 Timothy 1.9 teaches us that we have received grace in Christ before the world was created. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that in Christ we have become a new creation. Ephesians 2.6 says that in Christ we've been seated in the, the heavenly places with Him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in Christ. Philippians 4.7 The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Everything that we really need will be supplied to us in Christ. And so in Christ we've been set free from sin and death. We've been adopted as, as children of God. And nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Okay, what glorious truth it is to know that we are deserving of, of death and yet Christ has paid the penalty for us. And so as we look back at our verse here, we see that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we're going to talk more about condemnation as we continue. But it means that anyone and everyone who is in Christ, whether they gave their life to the Lord yesterday or decades ago, this verse speaks and applies to them. 
Okay, whether you think that you're mature in the faith or whether you think you have very little faith, even maybe you're like Paul who, who wrote this letter and, and called himself the worst of sinners, this verse applies to everyone who is in Christ. And so who does no condemnation apply to? This truth, as we'll see in the rest of the verses, is applied to those who are in Christ. But before we go to the next question, I want to ask you to ask yourself, are you in Christ? Ask yourself, am I in Christ? Because depending on the answer will determine whether this is applicable to you or whether you cannot receive the truth that is in this passage. Okay, If you are not in Christ, if you have never confessed your sin before a holy and a perfect God and recognize you only deserve uh, death and hell, that you are still dead in your sin and you're condemned. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so if you ask God to forgive you for your sin, He will forgive you for your sin. If you believe that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty that you deserve when He died on the cross, then your sin will be transferred to Him and His perfect obedience to God will be transferred to you, applied to you. And so today, if you will, if you haven't already, if you will commit your life to the Lord, if you will surrender everything to Him, you will be in Christ. And in that very moment, the moment that you are saved, you are reborn, you become a new creation, and you will face no condemnation for any sin, past, present, and even future. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for sin. It doesn't mean that Life will be easy to be in Christ. But we can be assured that in Christ our sin has been dealt with and that we have all those blessings and the promises that I had read earlier about those who are in Christ. But depending on how you answer that question, whether you're in Christ or whether you're not in Christ, will then determine how you respond to the next answer to the question whether it be great news or whether it be terrible and confronting news. And so we ask the next question, what is no condemnation? And the Greek word that's used here for condemnation is very similar to the idea that we would have even today when we talk about buildings that are condemned. And so just as a building may be condemned, meaning that has been legally given a status of being condemned, and then in some time in the future it will be demolished and destroyed because it's condemned, is the same idea here that we see in this word of, of condemnation. And so Paul is using it both as a legal declaration of guilt and then also of the sentence that is the result of guilt. And so it'd be like the judge in our court system. After hearing the evidence, then he would pronounce someone guilty. He would hand the sentence down. 
and then that criminal would have to live out the terms of the sentence. So the condemnation here, though, that Paul is talking about isn't the temporary justice system we have on this earth, but he's talking about the just guilt and the punishment from God that we all deserve because of our sin. Okay, Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2, verse 1, for everyone who is now believers, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Those who aren't believers are still dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 3 says that we were by nature children of wrath. Those who aren't in Christ, Romans 8, 8 says, are unable to please God. And so because of all that, we are guilty of our sin. And we are deserving of God's condemnation. And not only that, but Romans 5.12 tells us that we're not just guilty for our sin, but we're also guilty having inherited the guilt from Adam when he first sinned. And so we are guilty. And therefore, before our holy and perfect God, we have sinned, and the only just sentence is the everlasting torture of hell. I want to say that again. The only just sentence is the everlasting torture of hell. But I want you to understand that point because when we understand that point, it elevates our understanding greater of what God has done. When we understand what we deserve and then we receive what we don't deserve, it elevates and highlights what God has done for us in Christ. And so then condemnation is both the guilt of our sin and the deserving consequences of our sin. But as we look at this verse, we see that it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if we understood this word no, as Paul wants us to understand it, he's used the Greek in order to emphasize and highlight this single word no. So It would be like us understanding it to say there is absolutely no way there is condemnation or no way, Jose. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he paraphrased this verse and he said, not only is the Christian not in a state of condemnation now, he never can be, it is impossible. And so it'd be a bit like failing miserably on a test but getting a report card that says you had a perfect score. I'm sure all of us would have liked that at school at some point. Or it would be like some of those old farm buildings maybe you guys have on your own property or you see as you drive by, those, those buildings where the roof is half caved in and the walls are leaning like the trees in a hurricane. But imagine if an inspector came out and looked at the building and said it was not condemned, it was fit for use, and it was safe that you could continue to use it. I dare say you wouldn't go into that building. But let us think about how significant that is. Okay, For all that we have done against God in our thought, our words, and our deed, we can think about what God has done for us. And He doesn't hold any grudge. He doesn't hold any of our sin against us 
if we've received that verdict of no condemnation. Okay, that doesn't mean that we're now free to do whatever we want and we can sin whenever and however we want. Because in Romans 6, Paul addressed that very clearly and says we must not continue in sin. Okay, having received the, the verdict of no condemnation doesn't mean that we will not sin, but rather we should still seek God's forgiveness and those that we would hurt when we sin. We also must understand and be willing to submit to our conscience when it convicts us of sin. It doesn't mean that we won't face consequences or even God's discipline for sin. Okay, because Hebrews 12.6 says that God will discipline His children, but He does it out of love and for our benefit. And God's also instituted church discipline as the means of confronting sin and, Lord willing, restoring that person both to God and to fellowship with other believers. Okay, But according to God's court, those who are in Christ are no longer guilty for their sin. And they won't face the sentence of death that they deserve. And so this truth is, is foundational for all of Christian living. If you or anyone that you know struggles with depression or guilt or shame over the sin that they have committed in the past, and if it's been dealt with biblically, and on your outline there on the, on the application side, you can see how to deal with sin biblically. And I've uh, invited you to come and talk to Pastor Mike if you have questions on doing that. But if you've dealt with sin biblically, then you can have great assurance and be absolutely certain that all those who are in Christ do not have sin against them. Because there is no condemnation. Because their sin has been forgiven, the, the slate has been wiped clean, the, the sin has been removed from the record. And so when Paul says that there's no condemnation, he means without a shadow of a doubt, you are declared not guilty before God and you will not face eternal punishment for any and all sin. Now let me just give a bit of a story that will hopefully illustrate this even more. I want you to imagine that you went to the queen's palace, you broke into the palace and you beat her up and you stole what you could and you trashed everything else. Now, because of all the video footage and the security, obviously you're going to get caught, yeah? So then imagine that you went to the court and all the evidence was given against you and the video footage was there and the security guards gave their testimony of all that you had done wrong and you just sat there knowing that everything that had been spoken was true. So at that moment, after all the evidence, obviously you're going to expect the judge to, to hand down the sentence of what you have done. But imagine, as you're about to receive the guilty verdict by the judge as he slams down his gavel, that the queen steps down and she walks slowly to the front of the room to go and talk to the judge. As she's walking, she gives you her little wave. And you're wondering, 
What is the queen going to say to the judge? But then, as the queen smiles and turns back and walks back, imagine if the judge hammers down that gavel and he says, you are not guilty. All the evidence had just been piled up against you and you yourself probably would have pleaded guilty knowing what you'd done. But imagine if the judge said, not guilty. And then at that moment, the judge looked at the prince, at the queen's very son, and said to him that he was guilty of all your sin, all that you had done against the queen. He was handcuffed and he was taken away to prison to serve your sentence. That's what it means to have received no condemnation, that we aren't guilty for our sin because our sin has been transferred to God's Son, Jesus. But if you think of the the story even more, imagine then that after you had just watched the prince getting led away to jail, that the queen comes to the front and she asks you to join her in her limousine to take you to the palace. And then that she sits you down at the royal table and she gives you food to eat from the, the royal kitchen. Imagine that she gives you the prince's clothes and tells you to wear them and she gives you the royal credit card and says you can spend it as you want and she calls you her son. That's what it's like in just a small sense of what God has done for those who are in Christ. Because we have been declared not guilty, we aren't going to receive the sentence that we deserve because that's been given to God's Son. And instead we're welcomed into the family of God as one of His children. Now again, let me just share the other side of the coin. For those who are not in Christ, they do not receive that not guilty verdict. And they are under the consequences of their sin. They will receive God's just anger and wrath. They will face the consequences for their sin. And we have the good news to go and tell them that the Lord may be gracious to them and save them that they too may be received by Christ as those in Christ. And so we've answered two questions. We've seen that those outside Christ are condemned and those who are in Christ are not condemned, meaning not guilty before God, and they will not be punished by God. But for those who are in Christ, to make this truth even more profound, we see the answer to the next question, when does no condemnation apply? And again, it's very simply in the text here, in one word, it says that for those who are in Christ, that that no condemnation is applied even now. So anyone holding on to sin from the, the past, and even as we continue to sin, we can understand that even this very moment and every moment after that we have no condemnation from God against us. The moment that we're saved... Our sin, past, present, and even future, is transferred to Jesus, and Jesus' perfect obedience is imputed or transferred to us. And so our status changes from sinners to saints. From sinners to saints. 
And so Paul isn't speaking here in reference to when we will be with Christ for eternity, but he's speaking even of the very moment that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so while the Israelites before Jesus, they had to sacrifice regularly and they had the weight of sin upon them all the time. But for us, we're not bound by that system because Jesus is the the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate high priest. And so sin has been dealt with once and for all. Forgiveness has been given. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so this isn't like the Alberta driver's license. If you do the wrong thing, they put demerit points on your license, on your record, for two years. This is... God's response to our sin, that our record is completely clean because the punishment has already been paid. And so this means that the the shame, guilt, or any depression that we may have because of past sin should not control us, should have no power over us. Okay, In fact, any shame, guilt, or depression that we may experience because of our sin is rejecting God's truth. Okay, It rejects God's truth if we are influenced and controlled by what we have done in the past. Okay, Because if you have not accepted the truth that even now as a believer in Christ, that you are declared innocent of sin, if you're being controlled by your feelings of your past, and if you then you haven't accepted and are not living out the reality that Jesus' death has completely removed all your sin. Now, I'm not saying that those people who struggle with that aren't saved, because honestly, many and maybe even most Christians struggle with this at some point in their life or even continually. Okay, It's been an issue even for myself as I've tried to understand what it means that I am under no condemnation even now because of my sin. But for... For us who would struggle with that, it means that you deny the effectiveness of Christ's death on the cross. And that you would reject the Word of God that declares Christ died once for sin. And it doesn't matter what you have done, whether you have lied, whether you have cheated, whether you've disobeyed your parents, whether you've stolen something, whether you've had an abortion, even if you've been divorced. There is no condemnation. There is no charge that can stick against you. God does not punish you for sin, now or in the future. And so we don't need to and we couldn't possibly try and do a, a good enough deeds to pay off what we've done wrong. Okay, We don't need to feel guilty or try and beat ourselves up or over our sin because of what we've done, but rather we can come to the cross and thank the Lord for what He has done. Thank God the Father for sending His Son and for the sacrifice that He gave. 
And so punishing ourselves for what we have done by allowing the past to rule our thoughts and our actions and, and our emotions and even to control our future is not allowing God's forgiveness to be applied fully in your life. It doesn't mean that we won't think about past sin. It doesn't mean that we're not grieved by past sin. But we can use that to again bring us to God and thank Him for what He's done. And we can use what we've done in the past to to recommit ourselves to obeying God in the future. We have received no condemnation. And so for all of us in Christ, we can accept the reality that there is even now no condemnation and there never will be. Instead, we can worship our great God and Savior who has paid the penalty for our sin and welcomed us into His family. We can thank Him for His love even though we don't deserve it. We can seek His help to glorify Him in all that we would do in the future. And if you look at the end of chapter 8 here, we see that there is nothing that is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 1 we see no condemnation and in verses 38 and 39 of this chapter there is no separation for those in Christ. I just want to finish with a story one of my professors told. He went to Germany for a conference and he was at the conference and speaking to a group of believers at a church there. And one evening he spoke almost to midnight as as people were leaving. An old lady was there at the end and wanted to speak to him. Now he was so tired having taught through the night and probably maybe still on jet lag, I'm not sure, because he traveled from the U.S. to Germany. And he just wanted to go to bed. But this old woman who was apparently in in her mid-70s said that she had something to tell him that she had never told anyone before in her life. And so that kind of shocked him into sitting down and hearing her story. And then so she relayed the events of her life up until that point. And the short version of the story is that she had grown up in Russia that she as a teenager had fallen in love with a young man. As a teenager, she had got pregnant and the young man then left her completely alone, deserted her. Her parents wanted to continue the honor that they had in the town, so they arranged for her to be shipped off to a work camp so that the family wouldn't experience shame at their daughter being pregnant. And so... This teenager was sent off to a work camp in which there were 600 men and she was the only female and she was required to slave away in the kitchen for them while she was pregnant and repeatedly abused. Now one day it came to the time to give birth as she was actually walking into town and so she was alone there walking to town as it was time to give birth. So she had to give birth by herself on the side of the road. After she gave birth, all of the events of her life 
I guess caused her to be so angry at God and overwhelmed that she took the baby, she threw it onto the ice, and she walked away. Now, later on, she was able to escape that work camp. And later on, at the end, at the, in old age, she came to know the Lord through the testimony of her granddaughter. But all of her life from that point had, had still been filled with tragedy after tragedy. And so she came to my professor and she asked him, is there any hope for me? After she had just with tears relayed all the details of her life. And you know what the professor did? He opened up Romans 8.1 and he asked her to read it. And so she read through the verse. And then he said, do you know who wrote this? And he explained that Paul had written this verse and Paul was a murderer. And so he asked her to read the verse again. So she read it again. And then she looked up with the biggest tears in her eyes and she said, that's because I'm a Christian now, right? I'm not paying for my sin. And he said, nope. Christ died, I paid it all. Then, it, I mean, it was very late, so he encouraged the old lady to go home and to memorize this one verse and to come back the next day. And so she came back the next night and apparently she burst through the door with the biggest toothless grin and she was able to quote this verse, Romans 8.1. And then my professor asked, what does this verse mean? And she said, I do not stand under any condemnation before God because Jesus paid it all. And so as that is true for this woman, so it is true for everyone who is in Christ. That no matter what you have done or even will do, that there is no sentence of guilt and there is no guilt for what you have done. And so may we be encouraged to come before our Lord and worship Him in Christ our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot fathom and understand Your love and Your grace. Lord, but as we open up Your Word, we just want to soak it in. We want to understand more. We want to allow Your Word to speak to us, to encourage us and to challenge us so that, Lord, we may walk our lives knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Father, I would pray that for anyone here that is not in Christ, that they would understand the great cost of Jesus dying on the cross for sin and the great sentence that we deserve. And yet for all those who would come to Christ, they will be forgiven and receive that verdict of not guilty and will not suffer the consequences we deserve. Father, help us as believers to apply this truth in our life. It's so easy to think back of what we have done in the past and feel guilty about it, maybe even to be controlled by our past as we try and live out our Christian life now.
But I pray that we would not struggle with past sin, but we would find freedom in Christ from our past sin as we look to what has been done on the cross. And that we would respond in worship as we understand even just a tiny bit more the the grace of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, and the salvation of God. And so, Lord, may we choose to thank You and to worship You for what You have done. In Jesus' name, Amen.